0: It's always interesting to talk to someone who's planted new roots in a new country and is passionate about the results, especially when that someone is Ferenc Mattei. He's an accomplished photographer and sailing enthusiast, and he's authored several books about sailboats. His latest book, however, describes his move to Tuscany, where he turned a 13th-century friary into his dream house, planted acres of vineyards out back, and now produces some of the best wine in Italy under the Mattei label with the help of his son and wife a Hungarian-Canadian-American who escaped communist rule, he's lived in Austria, Vancouver, New York, Rome, and Paris. And now, for the past 20 years, Ferenc has been living in rural Tuscany. He joins us now on Travel with Rick Steves to tell us how we can all make a Tuscan lifestyle our own, wherever we call home. Ferenc, thanks for joining us. Tell us a little about what your home's like.
1: Well, we live on uh, 60 acres of uh, Tuscan... I guess you could call it Wonderland. Looking off west and you see about 12 layers of hills before you see the sunset and the sea. (laughs) Uh, It's a 13th century friary that we bought. I had this sort of Pygmalion complex of taking a ruin and rebuilding it. And I looked for five years before I found this place and it's rambling with wings and towers and a creek in front of it. And we actually bought this place and spent two years of absolute hell rebuilding it. But it was enjoyable, hell, it was every day was kind of like Christmas because you did something wonderful and you looked at it and said, my God, look at that stone, oh, look at that new window, that door, that, that beam. And then um, fortunately or unfortunately, Angelo Gaia, who's Italy's best winemaker, moved in next door to us. We're at Montalcino, which is the, probably the most famous wine-growing area of Italy. And when he moved in, we thought, well, you know, it's like having the Pope next door to you and converting to Islam. So we actually <laughs> thought we might as well plant some vineyards and uh, – Now we have 15 acres of vineyards and uh, 42,000 bottles of wine to make and sell every year. And it's actually – I wrote another book called The Vineyard in Tuscany and I was going to subtitle it Our Own Hell in Paradise. But I know it's really wonderful (laughs) now that you ask about the lifestyle. It's it's good because it goes with writing. You can actually be outside all day and work in the vineyards or the woods and then go inside and write or pretend to write, you know, you close the door and keep your machine going. Your experience is you're not
0: just passing through as a tourist, as millions of people do in that part of Italy. You are actually dealing with the reality of life, getting a fixer-upper and and redoing it, and dealing with the contractors and the plumbers and the electricians and the tempo of life. Uh, There are some frustrations with the the, what is the sweetness of doing nothing what is that a <laughs> phrase the, <laughs> the dolce far
1: you have to learn that there is no such thing as making a phone call to get anyone to do anything okay there's such a thing as making 15 phone calls about the same subject to the same person but you get relaxed into it you know if you have to do something by like Christmas you call it Easter and you say yes, listen I have an urgency you know some, I have a leak it has to be fixed right now <laughs> knowing that you don't really have that and you have 8 months to do it but it'll probably get done by in 8 months
0: so this is a radical new approach to life and it's not working with a split-second timer, that's for sure. In your book, you write, you are hoping to awaken the Tuscan in all of us. What is the Tuscan in all of us?
1: Oh, Rick, I think really that people who come to Tuscany, almost everyone says or even reads the book, they say, oh, you're living my dream. And I think it's basically we have, all of us have this need to live close to each other in a community where everybody knows us, to live really close to nature, like Emerson said, but also to to feel that what you're doing is actually contributing to your own life. Okay? So a lot of things in Tuscany you do but with your own hands. You actually plant your vegetable garden. You go hunt for mushrooms. You get your own firewood. You look after your own house. Things that, that you get to do in America on a weekend only, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, I was th- telling a friend yesterday that it's such an important part to participate in your own life. Like when I get something out of the garden that I planted or I make a fire out of wood that I gathered... When I'm sitting there eating that meal with, with that, that fire going and the food that I've planted and I'm, i am spent time cooking, the taste of that food is psychologically such a huge thing because you've done all this thing to get it, you know. You don't think about it obviously, but it's a—it's in the back of your mind. It's a huge event. So we have two big meals a day, and and it's—it's it's almost like life is a celebration. I'm not, not trying to be no, but it's a harvest. Guide people into this, but it really, really is. It's just—it's—it's it's such a wonderful life, you know. It's a harvest of your beautiful work.
0: Yeah. When I think about that, I just had sort of a. Uh, Flashback to, I think, the most beautiful meal I've ever had anywhere in Europe. And it was on the farm of a woman named Signora Gori. It's in somewhere in Tuscany. We sat down in this elegant living room surrounded by pictures of their ancestors who had lived on that farm for generations and generations. Mm. And sitting and at this simple table, we had the fruit of their labor. We had the sausage, the cheese, the wine, the bread, the fruit, nothing fancy, beautiful olive oil. Everything right there. Earlier in that day, I had walked through her farm with Signora Gori and she picked up the lambs, you know, and she she knew the animals from where her, her cheese came. We could hear the squealing of the of the pigs being slaughtered, and she said, "That's our little Beirut." And we'd go up there, and we'd see all the <laughs> <laughs> and we'd see the slaughterhouse, and we would stand be surrounded. Up too, huh? <laughs> it was just great. And we sat down with her family. There was three generations there, and you know, I can picture people grabbing a bottle of wine like you might, with the, your family label on that bottle and pouring that into the glass of somebody who traveled from halfway around the world to share that with you. And there's just some sort of a, a pricelessness about that that you just don't get at the mall.
1: You know, it's it's really amazing. We, went out, we had an, I had an assistant over there a couple of years ago and went out to dinner or lunch, and we took our own wine, of course, because we make one of the best wines in the world, so it's <laughs> natural to do that. And you can do that in Italy. They let you take your wine if you're a grower. Mm. Um, and she said... And you know she's not a she's the most unromantic person I know my, in my life. Very straightforward, great editor and assistant. She says to me, you know, it's like bringing the soul of the house with you, and it, the stuff that you create by yourself, it really is like like it has a soul to it that, that you know store bought stuff doesn't have. And Rick, another thing, um, looking at you, you get such a calm and a self confidence when you grow your own stuff, or you fix your own house, or you know how to do these things. You know, it's it's a it's a basic thing. The, the anxiety of not being able to fix things or knowing how things are put together is gone. You know, you have this... I'm not talking about this sort of um, uh, self-sufficiency that, you know, people go in the woods and and dig their own cake kind of thing. I'm talking about sort of a fundamental participation in your own life.
0: Yeah. You mentioned when you grow your own wine or make your own wine, the restaurateurs allow you to take your bottle to dinner with you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's just... It's just (laughs) unreasonable to ask you to uh, abandon
1: the the fruit of your (laughs) vine, right? (laughs) yeah and you know it's beautiful. As, as you know in Tuscany almost almost every restaurant is uh, family owned. And so you get to know the people and the, usually the owner serves on you and of course, mm-hmm. you start chatting about the wine. So the whole dinner becomes a social event beyond the table. it, it involves other people at the other tables or mm-hmm. or the people who own the restaurant. And this is this whole community thing that is so. Reassuring, you know, knowing your baker, knowing your butcher, and and you walk in and, and they start arguing with you. But no, you don't want that meat because you're making soup, you idiot. How can you want it? you want this kind of meat, you want it, and and no, just not enough for three people. So you ask for. You want for five, half a kilo. And they say, no, you don't want half a kilo. You want you want three-quarters of a kilo, or it's too much. No, and it's wonderful. It's a, it makes you feel like you actually are part of the world, you know, instead sort of the sort of anonymous thing where you check out through the checkout counter and nobody knows who the hell you are or cares.
0: I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're speaking with Ferenc Mate. And Ferenc Mate is a Hungarian who spent half his life in America and then has spent the last 20 years in Tuscany. And we're talking about lessons you can learn from this in order to live better. His new book, The Wisdom of Tuscany, is filled with wisdom that Ferentz has learned from the actual opportunity to become a Tuscan. Ferentz, without getting too uh, glorious about this, it just seems like we're finding a way to wring more joy and success out of life without having to make more money. And here in the United States, in these, quote, tough economic times, people are looking, we're in crisis, to live better with less anxiety and 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 so on. And, and maybe we're completely barking up the wrong tree here because uh, you go to Tuscany and you you get out of this crisis by getting more close to your community, more close to the earth, more close to what really is the meaning of life.
1: Well, I think, ironically enough, the crisis is pushing us back into such wonderful stuff. You know, uh, I've heard that people actually... Have clothing exchange evenings and stuff where they get together and and people yeah. who don't
0: people uh, in they, Iceland to... I- Iceland's had the worst economic crisis and all of a sudden they're hanging out in their hot tubs more getting to know their neighbors. not great saying, there's <laughs> a silver lining to this quote crisis. Thank I God for they're... this crisis. You know,
1: I don't think it's anything, anything better. You know, and yeah. and you know people actually get together at bars and talk more about the crisis. At least they, they participate in each other's agonies. You what know? a I think concept. You know, I really think honestly without trying without trying to better the world either economically or socially or even environmentally, this basic life that the Tuscans lead contributes to that unconsciously. You know, if you concentrate on what really make, what, what makes you happy, okay, I mean, I'm not talking about starving yourself to death or no. growing particular foods or no, anything. I'm talking about hardship what makes all. you happiest. Makes, I'm happiest eating, drinking my wine, laughing my guts out with my family at the table, having friends over, that is the joy of life. So you, you know, can being, do that, or you can go into debt. You know, it's just a, it's, exactly, your choice. it's your choice. Exactly, exactly. And and what the pleasure that comes out of redoing your own house? I mean, I cannot tell you. I mean, I knew nothing about stone building. You know, I, I've built a house in Vancouver out of two by fours and Jiprock. I mean, stone to me, you know, like tombstones are the only thing I knew. But you learn, and and stonemasons stone every day, fifty times, Marty, how do we do this? Because I wanted to do a restoration. That was really. Um, Museum kind of restoration, you know, you right. want to use old beams and old tiles and stuff, mm-hmm. and uh, your brain is constantly working, you know, and 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 you feel absolutely rejuvenated. Every, every day is like like a celebration. Ah, you know, when you when you're, you when you when, when you curves. do. Yeah, a, I mean, compare that to the, the average job where you basically learn everything you're doing in the first five or six days, and you continue doing that for the rest of your life. My God, that's it's a, deadening. The I meant. really have. You know, and you get results. You get olive oil that people kill for here, wine that you kill for here, food. I mean, the the food that comes out of your garden or your your own chickens, I mean, incomparable. Parents,
0: in your book, you put quite a bit of importance on this phrase, la vita quotidiana. What does that mean and why is that important?
1: That's it. Just we're talking about daily life. You know, you get up and you look after your place and you, your family is constantly in, or your friends are constantly in touch with you because you know everyone in the town. So that's, Most, that's the essence of It's mostly multi-generational Tuscany. houses in Tuscany. You know, you have three, right. four generations. And the mix of that, Rick, I mean, having not just mercenary stuff like instant babysitters available and, you know, grandmothers are cooking. Imagine what it does for kids, first of all. You have… You have someone there all the time, you know. I mean, you get coddled to death. Why? Why, why are you telling them so calm and confident and happy? Because they're loved to death, and vice versa. You have you have the older people feeling it's so important. I mean, we have the great grandmother next door who basically runs the olive harvest. You know, mm. and she goes up on the trees and climbs and picks the olives and tells you what to do and and screams at you if you drop an olive and leave it there on the ground because it was worth <laughs> so much. You know, I mean. These people are just totally alive and totally participating in in society, and and that's the vita quotidiana, just go looking after your own bits and pieces and and, and living well.
0: Ferenc Maté is a lesson in transforming yourself. Born in communist Hungary, he escaped to Vancouver, Canada, at age 11. He's also lived in the U.S., the Bahamas, and Europe. For the last 20 years, he's made a home out of a restored 13th-century friary in Montalcino, Tuscany. His book about it is called The Wisdom of Tuscany, Simplicity, Security, and the Good Life. Your chance to chat with Ference is coming up shortly on Travel with Rick Steves at 877-333-7425, and our email address is radio at ricksteves.com. Ferenc, when we talk about Tuscany, the root of that is the Etruscan civilization. Do you find there's any sort of Etruscan heritage that's living on today, even though they're 2,500 years ago, compared to the Roman Empire and so on?
1: Oh, absolutely, Rick. Um, strange enough, I'm excavating an Etruscan city on our property that covers two hills. I found a temple. And, uh palace, and actually found the arena. Yeah, it's a totally different concept of a... You found an Etruscan
0: temple in your backyard. Don't... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, wish, I can't imagine. Italy. If I dig down two feet, I find nothing but dirt <laughs> where I live.
1: Okay, this is this is the only Etruscan city that actually exists almost in Tuscany because all the other ones have been built over, you know, like Orvieto, right. Perugia, Arezzo sure. are built in Etruscan towns. But this has been for, forgotten in the woods because the, we have, like, jungly woods in Mediterranea, Machia, Mediterranean. And one day I found... That the, or okay. well, my wife said, "Look at this. This is actually a wall." And I said, "Yeah, right. Uh-huh. It's probably a sheep thing, no?" So we go on and on, and you learn about little by little that you know a temple is 20 million meters by 17 in uh, Etruscan times, and so we find a temple 21 by 17. Say, "My." God, so, so we're, I'm trying to map this place actually right now. So don't tell anybody. Okay, I just, just between <laughs> you and me. But when you, think yeah, right. it, But we're, we're celebrating this good uh, life
0: in Tuscany. And is it just a coincidence that you're sitting on the ruins of Etruscan civilization, or do they inspire this in their way? Because my understanding of the Etruscans is, for them, life was a banquet, and their god was an easygoing really was, kind yeah. of Mother Earth god, and everything was cool.
1: They were not conquerors. You know, they, they were very happy living where they were, and uh, they were not the Roman. You know, this is why there aren't many ruins. They weren't into giant construction except for their necropolis, which is dug into the hillsides. Yeah. So, but we know about Etruscans mostly comes from from paintings in there. Uh, yeah, it was a completely different concept from the Romans. It was living life well. Well, eat, drink, and be merry. I bet that was they were just quoting. Yeah, some and you or know the, the slaves were actually treated, and and, this, and they have strange names for slaves. It was like a, a member of the family almost, and it right. was. Yes, somebody told somebody what to do, but but the input and, and how they dressed and where they lived was actually comparable to where, where the master lived. Yeah, it's a completely different life. It's, it was based on sharing and respect and living well and not on, you know, 2 or 3% of the population getting rich and the other uh, the ones crawling around the dirt like the Romans.
0: So when you're using Tuscan lifestyles as inspiration for fast-track uh American lifestyles to mellow out and, and slow down and smell the roses. Is that uniquely Tuscan or is that Italian in general? How does Tuscany differ
1: from Rick, Italy? I swear to God, it's, it's basically human. You know, I think I think America, I remember when I was a kid in Canada, uh, we had that same lifestyle. You know, we had we had a front porch where you sat around and everybody in the neighborhood gathered there and and we had a, a vegetable garden, everybody the neighbor shares their vegetables because things ripen, they ripen at once. You know, we played crummy baseball with one crummy bat and and a couple of gloves in a a dirt field in the back. We weren't into gear and stuff. You're talking about
0: the good old days before the intensity of our life kicked in. And and today, in this modern, high-strung, global age, in Italy, in Tuscany, you still have two very important institutions, the piazza and the passeggiata. Tell us about the piazza and the passeggiata in Tuscan culture.
1: Believe it or not, a passeggiata still exists, and it's a thing that you do every night or every evening. Everyone sort of drops whatever they're doing, and uh, they take a walk in their little town. And you, you've already seen everybody in the town anyway, because you, know, you talk to them in the butcher shop and the post office. So it's, you're not seeing anybody new, but it's a different, it's a more formal kind of thing, and you salute whoever you haven't seen, and crack a couple of jokes, and pass the gossip around, and it's... It's a huge social event, and it, it really binds the community together. And the piazza is where where most of the good cafes are, and and where the market usually is. And it's again, it's you go there not because you're lacking a supermarket. We do have a very small one of that, but uh, you go there to encounter some neighbors you might have missed. There's a, an interesting saying in Tuscany, and you know how close the Tuscans are in family. Um, I mean, family's down on your throat constantly, weekends, and uh, the ones that aren't living with you. But there's a saying that a good neighbor is worth 10 members of your family. And it's really true that neighbors are loved and respected and, and you share because you're often dependent on them. And, you know, we have no qualms at all going to our neighbors and then borrowing a tractor or borrowing a, a forklift. And, and they have no qualms at all coming to us and say, uh, you know, we're out of carrots. Can you give me a bushel of carrots or something? whatever, you know? And, and it's such a comforting thing to know that. It's not, not just... Cute or fun. So
0: being interdependent is sort of celebrated. That's part of the fabric of your community.
1: exactly the human the human condition is celebrated and 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 it's not like you, you actually say okay I'm going to live without television and live without this all these comforts you don't need them you know when you have tons of friends and you have your family there and you have your neighbors that you interact with and you you're busy around your own house you don't need all this accoutrements you don't need to shop and have fourteen thousand of this and twelve television sets and eight cars and blah 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 you know. Not that people are poor. Don't misunderstand no, they've me. Got people TVs. are rich as hell. You know? they,
0: they've got TVs, but they're just not uh, slaves to the TVs, I guess. You've got this passeggiata where you go out and you, you meet your neighbors. You've got this need to go to the market every morning, not because you don't want to have a big freezer in your garage, but because you'd like to connect with your community. you got the piazza, which is the neighborhood living room. Does this small-town, stable society where people are less mobile and so on does, it, does the fact that everybody knows everybody kind of enforce a community decency? Does it sort of a, constrain
1: people? There's there's no crime. I mean, you know, we keep uh, our key in, uh, in at the house where God meant it to be in the lock, you know, because <laughs> otherwise you lose it. You know? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and you, put, I heard, you leave the key in the door where God <laughs> meant it to be. <laughs> I mean, it's you know, I've heard that, you know, there are surveys done, and, and most oh. uh, family homicides begin with the shout, where's the goddamn key? You know, so <laughs> uh, you, you avoid these kind of things, you know. Um, the car keys are, are sitting, you know, not in the car ignition, but it's right there by the stick shift because it's an easy place to find. You know, um, everyone knows everybody, and, and, and people are looked after. Of course, there's a huge social structure. There isn't, you know, a massive poverty anywhere. Right. There's, there's health care. There's all that stuff. That you don't, you never feel really poor. And but there's a, there there's a
0: a safety net when you have a tight-knit community that you wouldn't have somebody just desperate on the There's street. one
1: story in a book about how unspoken, you know, one family ran into hard times. And the church took a without any kind of fanfare, took a collection up, and a priest w- walked home with a kid, one of the children, one day, and uh, when nobody was looking, passed her an envelope and said, you know, make sure you give this to your father when nobody's in the room, so that mm-hmm. you know he doesn't feel ashamed, you know. Wow, and it, yeah, that yeah, there, exists, you know. And we live in a country, obviously. The doctor actually comes to your house when you have a problem, and you know how reassuring that is—not to have him come, but just to think that he can come when you need him. Uh Candace had, because Candace is Candace, and she had a flu, and she still insisted on going sailing one day. And so she got bronchial, whatever you get, pneumonia. And she had to have injections three times a day. And a neighbor who, who knew how to do that because, you know, she has a rabbit that she has to inject once in a while, walked a quarter mile three times a day without, you know, saying, oh, this is, I'm doing such a great favor. And it was a natural thing to do. And she gave Candace a shot in the butt because I didn't have the heart to stab her. But you
0: have people looking out for each other. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're speaking with Ferenc Maté. His book is called The Wisdom of Tuscany. Ferenc, i got to say, you're not the first person to write about Tuscany. That's for sure. There's a lot of (laughs) expats that have moved in. And, you know, you guys all have uh, discovered in an isolated way your own magic of Tuscany and its uniform. You're all enthusiastic about the same thing. And when I think about it, Nowhere else in Europe do people move in and write books about how this lifestyle and this salt-of-the-earth sort of community has inspired them to, to write about that and, and help people wake up to find out what really is meaningful in life. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. You can email us at radio at ricksteves.com. And Noble is on the line in Lummi Island, Washington. Noble, thanks for your call. Hi there. It's nice to talk to both of you guys. Yeah, do you have some comments
1: for Ferenc? Hi, Noble. I think I have emailed you back and forth a few times, huh?
0: Yeah, yeah, you remember. Um, I wanted Not to tell see
1: you now yet. Getting there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, my wife and I had a, a home birth on Christmas Day, and we celebrated with a bottle of mate wine that I'd been saving for about a year. Hmm. So, wow. Now,
1: that is an, a pleasure that I can't even imagine how good that makes me feel, seriously. Those are events that, you know, somebody celebrates something so spectacular with a bottle of wine makes you absolutely humble and thrilled to be alive, you know?
0: I, I thought you'd like that story. Um, anyway, y- your book, A Vineyard in Tuscany, inspired my wife and I to buy some land, and we're going to start working it. And I want to know what is the most important lesson you've learned um, teaching yourself to
1: work the land. You know, interesting uh, to enjoy every step. A friend of mine taught this to me who had an olive grove uh, to work, and he started hoeing it like a madman, and the old guy who had been hoeing olives for 50 years was next to him. He said, uh, you better slow down because after this tree, there's another tree, and after that tree, there's another acre, and after that goes on and on. And so you better enjoy every moment of your life. And I think that's what it is. If If, if you enjoy every step you will be the happiest man on earth, you know? That's great. That means you have to enjoy weeding and digging dirt and, <laughs> and hauling it's fertilizer. It's like the but, journey you
0: know. is the destination. I mean, isn't that the philosophy?
1: Absolutely, right. That's absolutely right. the truest words ever spoken.
0: All right. Noble, thanks for your call.
1: Hey, thanks. Yeah. Thanks to you guys.
0: What a gratifying thing, uh, Ference to, to, to make fine Jeez. wine and then somebody has a home birth on the other side of the planet oh, and they crack and open some of your wine to
1: well, celebrate it. I love that it. Is, that is, okay, that's it. I can die okay. happy now. Thanks. Right.
0: Well, let's see if we can top that. <laughs> Terry's on the on the phone in Waconia, Minnesota. Terry, thanks for your call.
2: Hi, Rick. I wanted to tell you how much my husband and I enjoy watching your show together. And Ferentz, um, your book of Inun- In Tuscany um, also inspired us. We were newlyweds when we started reading it, and <laughs> and we read the book to each other um, for several months. And um, we wow. had decided to plant a hundred vines and see what happens. Well, your book encouraged us to go further, and now we have um, three thousand plants in a vineyard, and we're planning to open our winery this year. So it's um, wow. It, the book was so funny because we related so much to you and your wife in every step of the way. But one night, my husband jumps up in the middle of the night and says, I planted my vines the wrong way. <laughs> uh,
1: uh, what, what, upside down?
2: What? <laughs> he, well, he was east and west, so we ripped them out and put them north and south. But the reason why I'm calling today is um, I got so involved with the, the industry here. And in, um, we're in the Midwest in Minnesota. And now I'm a chairperson for the conference, and I'm going to be organizing a tour for our Midwest grape growers, and um, I'd like them to experience what I experienced when I was in Europe and um, seeing the vineyards in Tuscany, and i just like some suggestions about where I might like to take them and also find out if you would be interested in ever visiting Minnesota.
1: <laughs> oh, I'd love to come. Uh, to give you the best idea, I think if you take a large tour or a tour in a large winery like Bomfi or uh, Frescobaldi, you really get a good understanding of the steps of the large-scale function. But I think you should really go to small wineries as well to uh, well, Gaia doesn't let you in, but you come to our house, and as long okay. as it list, 500 of you. <laughs> no, <there's>,
2: there'll <laughs> but, probably but be But do call 30. ahead. We don't,
1: have, we don't have tours, but uh, mm-hmm. Candice does. If you call ahead a couple of days, you know, she certainly accommodates everybody. So I think it's interesting to compare a large winery with a small one and, mm-hmm. and, and how things function and how you can do it hands-on, you know.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, the industry here is starting to grow because the technology for grapes has improved so much for cold climates, so... Um, mm. We're working very closely with the University of Minnesota and um, California. Everything's already been done. This is new territory. So we're very excited about it. And um,
1: That's pretty brave um, of you. Congratulations.
2: Thank you very much. And, <laughs> so um, do come
1: and visit, but call or email in advance and we'd be happy to have you. Terry, okay, good luck, you good so luck with your tour. thank you so much. Good luck with your tour. Thanks. Keep for writing. Calling.
2: We really enjoy. You're a great, great writer. Thank you so much.
1: Oh, thanks very much. Mm-hmm. I'm Rick
0: Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're speaking with Ferenc Maté, his new book, The Wisdom of Tuscany. Marika from Windsor, Colorado, emailed us, and Marika writes is the lifestyle you have right now similar to the one you had in Hungary when you were growing up? <laughs> I'm Hungarian, no. and I miss what, what I left behind when I escaped during the '56 revolution at 18. So this is an interesting issue, Ferenc. I mean, of course, the communism was, was a drag, and the economy didn't work, and the ideology had some fundamental problems, but there were some... Slow down and smell the roses and family values aspects of communism in Eastern Europe that uh, frantic capitalism in Western Europe doesn't quite uh, do as well, I think. What is your take on that?
1: Well, ironically, well, I lived in a one room flat with my grandparents uh, with cold water and a bathroom down the hall. Share, you know, share. This was in Budapest. Right. Uh, I left when I was 11. So, like, there really isn't much to compare with living in a oh. small castle. Wow, <laughs> seven, what a 70 yeah. seven acres in Tuscany. Uh, but socially, yeah, um, I think because there was nowhere to go um, economically in Hungary, you know, you sort of had a job that you worked at and you stole whatever you could on the side because it was the state. So, if it was yours, you might as well take it home. Right. No matter what it was, whether it was sausages or a chair oh, or, a, yeah. you know, a turbine that you could barely fit into your room. Um but I think there was this huge human contact again because you didn't have money. All you had was your neighbors, and you, everybody walked and window shopped because you couldn't afford to buy anything. So it was like like the passeggiata in Italy, oh. and neighbors and friends were everything. You know, that's, that's right. the only entertainment you had. You know, oh, so yeah. I guess in that, that sense, yeah, I I, mm-hmm. I don't miss it because no. we have that in Tuscany, and we have the castle to boot. You know, so. <laughs>
0: but Tuscany has a little bit more of the. Um the soft edges of of, uh, of Euro-socialism compared to some uh, Darwinistic kind of capitalistic lifestyle.
1: Very much so. And and Mm. there's, you know, the pride in Tuscany really comes from doing things. Um, The craftsmanship is so vital and exists. You know, carpentry cabinetry, all that stuff is made by either individuals or by mm. tiny, tiny um, yeah. groups of three or four people. And an interesting thing, about of our favorite restaurants, the Maruchetto Fish Place um, down, uh, down, down the road, uh, I asked uh, Carmin, who's the, the chef and, and the father who runs the place, totally withdrawn, very quiet guy, but, but he worked in France on a boat, on a barge one time, and so he learned how to make fantastic French pastry. He, he works 20 hours a day. He loves it but he's not a social guy he always sort of withdrawn back in the kitchen and i say why why do you make all these fantastic foods and he makes fabulous desserts constantly he says i love to see people happy you know uh, and i think you know the people who came to our house and worked in our house they put their hearts and soul into everything what they were going to gain financially didn't matter we have people coming back 10 years later fixing for no charge a door that might have warped or done something, you know. And You know, this is very interesting
0: point you're making because as a traveler, a budget traveler, you think of Italy and you think of taxis in Rome ripping you off because you're a tourist. But every expat I've talked to who's bought a fixer-upper in Italy and has worked with the local artisans and craftspeople and plumbers and, and electricians has made friends out of the experience, and they find it, it really is these people care and they're, they've got a lot of ethics and, and they're part of the community.
1: Rick, I think most craftsmen care more than your friends care. I mean, it's it's, it's right. amazing. It's you know, I, I I had guys come in, and they they built this huge metal window frame for an archway because mm-hmm. downstairs were all stable, so you had to put a window in it. And they actually made a little wooden pl- or a huge wooden pattern. And then they come back in with a metal piece, and there was a gap because the arch wasn't perfect, it was built 700 years ago. So there was a little bit of a gap there. And I thought, well, OK, it's in. Great. He starts tearing it out and then taking it back, you know, 20 kilometers to his shop. I said, what are you doing? It's fine. You can just fill it in. He says, All my life I've built good things. I'm too old to start building junk. And he, he just, and he's going to make it, it co- right. And he ate the whole thing. He lost all his profit, whatever wow. it would have been, in the entire house. We're doing this giant metal frame, you know. It's like a, yeah. like a 15-foot-long frame and an arch, you know, with windows and doors in the thing. So it was amazing. amazing. I mean, it, it almost brings tears to your eyes, you know. and No wonder you feel at home there, you know.
0: Right. We have Elena on the line in Libertyville, Illinois. Elena, thanks for your call.
3: Oh, hello, Mr. and Thank you, thank you so much. I just think maybe I'm drinking or maybe it's for real. Thank you so much, Mr. Ferenc. This is my greatest pleasure to hear your voice. Oh, my God. Thank Uh, you so much.
1: Well, come to Tuscany, I'll mumble at you all day.
3: (laughs) Oh, it's a wonderful, wonderful chance for me. I read your books. I reread them probably twice, all about Tuscany and maybe three times. Um, Probably the best, the best one for me is this, wonderful book of yours with this real simple life that is my favorite. It's my favorite, favorite.
0: Well, Elena, tell I, me, tell me, Elena, have you incorporated some of the inspirational ideas that ference has uh, shared into your lifestyle in Illinois?
3: Sir, I, I'm trying to incorporate. It's kind of difficult. You know, probably you can guess by my accent, I'm not from here. I'm European and I'm From experience, my mom is Hungarian, my dad is Romanian. I immigrated in the United States nine years ago. And this is my lifestyle. What I read in Mr. Vermate's books is my lifestyle. I almost ready to cry because it's just so real. When you read his book, it's just you realize how wonderful, wonderful life can be without us being surrounded by so many machines doing so much stuff for us and spending money on them from this wonderful book I read to my daughter because I want to help her to understand she grows in this United States, you know, in our libertyville. She grows, you know, surrounded by normal people. And she tells me that, you know, we, it's normal for us to have cars. It's normal for us to have dishwashers and stuff. And I try to explain how I grew up. And how wonderful life was when we would sit in the kitchen with my mom, you know, cooking for us, with our neighbors coming, exactly like in Mr. Mates' book, coming and chatting, just sitting there and chatting. These are my best memories, my best, best memories.
0: Elena from Libertyville, Illinois. Thank you so much. and uh,
1: Thanks, Elena. You know, it's interesting. I was thinking of the other day, too, that... uh, the personal thing is, is is the whole foundation of society. If we, do, I mean, isn't that what the word society means? You know, and and if you exclude yeah. that and you categorize in little groups and isolate us into old folks homes and kindergartens and kitty gyms and all that stuff, yeah. uh, you're breaking up society, not creating it. You know, so I mm. think you're absolutely right. The the simple stuff will keep us together, if anything. And sure. if not, we just have enough wine to drink. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> I got to tell you one, one thing. One short short question, probably the last last word. I just want to ask. Mr. Ferenc, is Mr. Polucci, your neighbor, for real, a real person?
1: Oh, the realest person in my life, yeah. <laughs> Can you
3: tell him that? I love him. I will. <laughs> I love him, I'm, and I'm always laughing at all his comments, and how I'll, I'll tell him when his wife isn't there, I'll reality. tell him. <laughs> he's so right in whatever he says, and it's just he, so wonderful. He's so yeah, wonderful he's t- with t- all t- his totally family.
0: Yeah. Okay, thanks for your call, Elena.
3: Thank you so much. The very best. Thank Thank you, you.
0: Ferenc. I am just personally moved by the passion that your readers have shared in their calls here. I
1: had we get emails that you never imagined. You know that uh, that people are so so moved I and mean, we get we get a lot of visitors from everywhere you know but I hide you know I'm so antisocial I go in the woods when people come. <laughs> seriously well, you, I do you, and can't the wine part but to hear them you know, it's just okay. really humbling well, you know? let's
0: just wrap it up by if, if all of our listeners are dreaming about going to Tuscany uh, they can't all move in with you what's, uh, what's one little <laughs> bit of uh, advice for you where they can be touched by Tuscany not as people who are going to buy a 13th century friary and restore it but as people who just are tourists that are going to be passing through, uh, how can they be sure to get a little bit of the wisdom of Tuscany in their travels?
1: Well, I think the agriturismo are really important. And these are farms, most of them working farms. Some of them are not. Some of them are just sort of estates that take in people. Um, but the, the working farms or the small family estates are such a huge shock to most people. And as you said, uh, your biggest memory was going to somebody's house and eating there. Um, you're basically visiting a family. you and can do not... that then
0: in an agriturismo, the farms that are yes, renting and rooms, they usually have you know skills.
1: three or four small rooms almost always with their own bathrooms. So it's well, a lot of them are like first- class hotels, you know, in in right. quality and most of them fantastically clean and and the people are amazingly welcoming and then yet very good food. And I think that's the real Tuscany still, you know, yeah. it's, even that's changing, but, you know, hurry up and get over there and visit <laughs> made to order for an open-minded American traveler that wants to connect with this wisdom of Tuscany. Absolutely, and I think you'll definitely want to move there once you want to visit. You know,
0: mm-hmm. Ferenc Mate, it's a pleasure talking with you, and best wishes with your work and uh, for all of your fans. Thank you for sharing the wisdom of Tuscany.
1: All right, that was great fun. Thanks very much. Yep. Ciao. Ciao.
0: Each year, Rick Steves' tour guides take free-spirited travelers on escorted tours through Italy and beyond, one small group at a time. This year, we're featuring tours of Venice, Florence, and Rome, the heart of Italy, Village Italy. South Italy, and Sicily. For a free catalogue and Rick's Tour Experience DVD, visit the tour pages at ricksteves.com.